MC Lobshire, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cashflow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at the five ways that real estate investors are paid. Joining me in today's episode is my friend Keith Weinold from Get Rich Education. Keith is an international best-selling author and current member of the Forbes Real Estate Council, and he's also a writer for Forbes. Keith has been an active property investor since 2002 and owns apartments in Alaska, investor homes in Texas and Florida, and coffee farm parcels in Panama. As the owner of Get Rich Education, Keith teaches others about real estate investing through his blog and popular podcast. If you're interested in joining our investors group, you can go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investors group and fill out an application form to see if you're a good fit for our group. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Keith, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, honored to have you on and, and as always, great to connect. Um, Keith, I think before we jump into our discussion today, for some of my listeners uh, that um, didn't hear you on the previous episode and are not familiar with Keith, Keith Weinold and what you're up to, can you please just give a little bit uh, more information on, on uh, your background and your journey? Yeah, Absolutely. I grew up in a lower middle class family in upstate Pennsylvania, your home state, MC. Basically, it was just in Appalachia. And I was voted as the most quiet and shy kid in my class. I had two great parents that were really supportive. Um, We were pretty frugal. I mean, my mom was clipping 10 cent coupons for Cheerios cereal. But, you know, it was really my dad that instilled something inside me. My dad was a guy that was not passionate about his job. And, you know, he kind of really instilled in me, you know, Keith, don't live to get paid, get paid to live. If you're not passionate about your day job, you don't have to let that define you. And one extension of that is that we traveled really well, even though we were frugal on the home front. One of the places I vacationed to more than 15 years ago was Anchorage, Alaska. And 
after a few vacations to Alaska, I found that that really fit my interests for skiing and mountaineering. So again, you know, I want to live where I want to live and not let a job or something else define me. And, you know, shortly after relocating to Anchorage, Alaska more than 15 years ago. And I, I know some of your listeners are still trying to get their head wrapped around that MC. They're like, really? Anchorage, Alaska? <laughs> and, you know, I fell in with the group of friends, MC, that I would call aspirational friends when I moved to Anchorage. It's kind of like the Jim Rohn quote that you've probably heard. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Average your five closest friends, educational attainment level, average their ethics, and average their income level. And that's probably about the same income level and all those attributes that, that you have as well. You basically are a reflection of your friends. And what two of my five closest friends in Anchorage had done, MC, was purchase a fourplex building where they lived in one unit and rented out the other three. And I didn't have any entrepreneurial or real estate upbringing from my parents. And basically all that I knew is that my friends were living for free. So because I had this context of my two close friends buying a fourplex building, I, as a rent paying tenant all of my life, more than 15 years ago, made my first ever piece of real estate, a fourplex building in Midtown Anchorage, Alaska that I purchased for $295,000 and just a three and a half percent down payment in Midtown Anchorage, Alaska. So that's how I started in real estate investing with little money, but yet with a bang. You put out amazing uh, just content and ideas and share concepts around wealth, crea wealth creation, building wealth, what wealth means. Um, and I, I've really appreciated your presence on Instagram. If you're not following Keith, either his, his personal page or the Get Rich Education page on, on, on Instagram, he posts um, just phenomenal pics, uh, it, enjoying his active lifestyle. And, and Keith, health has played an enormous, enormous uh, part um, into your overall wealth and, uh, and, and, and wealth creation. Can you share a little bit more about that? I say health is wealth. Yeah, I think you're referring to my personal Instagram page, which is at Keith Weinhold, where yeah, I have a number of photos about working out or, or running on trails over the snow in Alaska or cross-country skiing. And, you know, health kind of goes along with investing because if you're going to be a long-term investor, you know, you're probably setting yourself up for success and a great income. So you're probably going to want to live a long time if you're going to have great income into your later years. Well, if you're going to have great income in your later years, you're going to want health to complement that. You're going to want to enjoy yourself. So I think health goes hand in hand with wealth because it would be a shame to have a lot of financial health and not be able to, or rather financial wealth and not be able to enjoy it if you don't have the health to go along with it. Health is wealth. Absolutely, because I've, I've seen uh, the mistake that a lot of people have made is they, they focus a lot on, on the financial aspect of it, right? And in the process, neglect the health part. And then eventually, at some stage, when they get to a level of a success financially and with investing, they say to themselves, well, well you know, now I've, I've, I've been very successful and I, I've generated all of this financial success but I've completely let my body deteriorate. And now they try to switch, but sometimes it, is, it's, it could be too late, right? It could be too late. 
life is a long-term game. And if you tell yourself that you're going to get fit someday, well, just think about if you postpone your fitness for a decade or even for five years, you know, it's a lot harder to get to a fit stage the later that you begin. So, it's just intrinsic. It's just part of life. I, I don't even think of health as a hobby so much. I think of it as a necessity. Now, if you want to think of health and well-being as a hobby, well, that's fine. But And actually, that's a good thing because it's a hobby that you need to be doing anyway is taking care of yourself. And I know I could get more done at work in the short term if I postponed my meeting with the personal trainer and, and I don't stretch my comfort zone and go do things on the BOSU or the TRX or some really advanced floor moves with some hurdles and constantly challenge myself. But in the long term, I'm setting myself up for success and happiness. And life is a long-term game. If you plan on being alive for the long term, which I certainly hope you do, you need to think about wealth holistically. Absolutely. Now, in your research and studies, what differentiates uh, differentiates the poor, the middle class, and the wealthy? That's a great question. What really differentiates poor, middle class, and wealthy? Well, it begins with mindset. Um, It was Mark Twain that said, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. I think there's a lot in that. If you think about what I've told you so far, I moved from Pennsylvania to Alaska and I didn't have any sort of job or whatever. I don't follow money. I build the skills to make money follow me. Moving from Pennsylvania to Alaska was strange. Making my first ever property a fourplex, that was strange. I don't want to be ordinary. If I'm too normal or too much into fitting in with mainstream society, I'm concerned. Like Mark Twain, I want to pause and reflect. So in society, socioeconomically, you're stratified just real loosely into poor, middle class, and wealthy. Well, what do poor people do? They work for money and they don't have any money left over. Well, what do the middle class do? The middle class also work for money like the poor do. But here's the key thing. Middle class people have money left over to invest and they think, what could be a better and higher use of my investing dollar than getting my own money to work for me? Well, I'm here to tell you, and this might be an epiphany for you, the listener, that right there is a problem. If you're only trying to get your money to work for you, you're never going to get a great rate of return and live the best life that you could and build passive income for financial freedom. Here's the mindset shift. Don't just think about getting your money to work for you. Again, thinking how most people think. Think, how can I ethically get other people's money to work for me. That's what the wealthy do right there. Well, now, how does an everyday person get other people's money to work for them ethically? Well, I've got some great news for you. You can actually do it three ways at the same time, and you can do it with a proven wealth generation vehicle with real estate. How do you do that? You use other people's money three ways at the same time, Back with the fourplex example again, I used the bank's money for a loan and leverage. I only made a 3.5% down payment and borrowed the rest from the bank. The second of three ways I use other people's money at the same time is I use the tenant's money for cash flow, both to pay down that loan and then what's left over is my passive income. And the third of three ways I use other people's money is I'm using the government's money at scale with income properties. 
And I'm talking about things like a 1031 tax deferred exchange, which means I never have to legally pay capital gains tax. I bought that first fourplex building in 2002. I've grown to multiple states and countries from there with my real estate. And MC, I have never paid a dime of capital gains tax legally. And you're also using the government's money with something called tax depreciation. The short story on that is that you don't even have to pay tax on all of your rent income. So that's the mindset shift. You don't just want to get your money to work for you. Think, how can I get my money to leverage other people's money? You can do it three ways at the same time with real estate. You're using the bank's money, the tenant's money, and the government's money, and you're doing it at scale three ways simultaneously. I love that. And Keith, you've also mentioned and told people that they have to stop looking at property. Uh, Can you elaborate on that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting question, MC, and I'm glad you picked up on the fact that you often hear me out there telling people, hey, whoa, 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 slow down. Stop looking at property because when people listen to me, they get all excited about investing in real estate. So they want to start looking at property and I have to throw a big red stop sign up in front of them and say, stop looking at property. And here's why. Look, most real estate investors have an awful experience. They're self-managing a property that doesn't even provide positive cash flow. Okay, so step back. The property is only the fourth most important thing in passive buy and hold real estate investing. I know that might be an epiphany for you. Here's how a lot of people buy real estate. And I think you know this, MC. You see this happen. Maybe say... On your commute to work, you drive past this pretty yellow duplex that has nice landscaping and good shutters, and it looks like it's been well-maintained. And one day you see a for sale sign on that, and you figure, well, that's a pretty building, and I've heard real estate makes people wealthy, and I ought to diversify outside of stock, so I think I'll just buy this property and manage it myself. Well, you're not being very strategic. You kind of ran across that property more coincidentally than anything else. The number one thing, the most important thing when you're getting into real estate investing is you. What do you want real estate to do for you? Are you looking for appreciation primarily or tax incentives? Or are you looking for passive cash flow, which is where your property's monthly income exceeds monthly expenses? I think that's the main thing that people look for. But what do you want real estate to do for you? The second most important thing in real estate is the market. And oftentimes, the best cash flowing market is not where you live. A lot of those properties are in the Midwest and South. You can easily buy those remotely these days with something called turnkey real estate investing. But you got to think about the market because most times you're going to need a tenant in your property that can pay the rent. So you're going to want to be in an economy that has diverse economic sectors. So you have a reasonable expectation that you're going to have a rent paying tenant in that property for the long term. The third most important thing is the team of professionals that you choose to surround yourself with, especially that property manager. That's probably the long-term most important part of your team. That's the glue that makes this investment stick together. And that's what makes your income passive. You got to think about why you're investing in real estate. You know, you think about ROI, but what's your return on life? You know, what if you're the one having to follow up with a tenant about a late rent payment or responding to a text and having to replace some loose bathroom cove base that comes up in a tenant unit. What kind of life are you designing for yourself? So then after you figured out number one, you, number two, the market, and number three, the team, now fourthly, 
you're ready to look at property because you've been strategic and you've thought about this holistically. So that's why I tell people, wait, 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 slow down. Stop looking at property. You're not ready yet. Be strategic. I love that. And that ties into living a life by design, right? And yeah. uh, building building around a, a life around your lifestyle and your investments and your business around it, not by default, which touches on the Mark Twain quote earlier, and not just following the herd and doing what everyone else is doing uh, at the same time. Uh, we are obviously in different um Different stages of the current market cycle, Keith, and we hear a lot of negative news. And of course, <laughs> there's extreme marketing grabs attention, right? So you're always listening to the, the next collapse and this and, and so forth. Today's still a great day uh, or a great time to be a, a real estate investor. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Some ask, well, what about today? Is today still a great time to be a real estate investor? Because I've seen real estate prices run up and now mortgage interest rates are also running up. Well, first of all, I would agree that in general, five years ago was a better time to buy a piece of cash flowing real estate than it is today. But I'm still buying real estate myself today because basically, I don't know where else I could get a better passive return than I do with real estate. In fact, MC, I just had a mobile notary in my office right here last week come to help me with a closing that I'm doing for more properties. And by the way, I'll just tell you, I paid a 6% mortgage interest rate on that property. It's a non-owner occupied property. It's income property. And you usually pay an interest rate about 1% higher on that than you do for your primary residence. But here's the thing, you know, we're talking about being strategic and being long-term so far in this discussion. When it comes to mortgage interest rates, be strategic and think long-term. 30-year mortgage interest rates are still historically low. Mortgage interest rates were 18% in the early 1980s. Now, Freddie Mac, they only began tracking mortgage rates in 1971. To get mortgage rate data before 1971 is pretty hazy. And you know what the average 30-year mortgage interest rate was on primary residences from 1971 until today? Almost 50 years of history, the average rate is 7.7%, and it might be 8.7% then for income property. So, you know, really here's the question. If you think that mortgage interest rates are going to go up to 8% in two years from where they are now, you're probably going to be glad that you locked up property now. See, it's when mortgage interest rates go down, that's when you would probably want to have a sense of complacency. Because when mortgage interest rates go down, you feel like if you postpone a purchase, rates will soon be lower. But when mortgage interest rates are going up now, that's when many savvy investors have an urgency to buy and why I am still a buyer. They're going up, yet they're still historically low. It doesn't feel like that because we came off such ridiculously massive lows when rates bottomed out in 2012. And in a lot of markets, prices still have not reached their pre-recession inflation adjusted high. And additionally, if there is a recession or an economic bump, I'm buying in the Midwest and South, stable markets that didn't feel a lot of pain, even during the last recession, which was our worst recession in 70 years since the Great Depression. I avoid buying on the coasts where the prices are more volatile. So I buy a property principally for the production of cash flow. And then if there happens to be appreciation, well, that's nice. 
I have run into the problem where I, 10 years ago, I bought a fourplex building for $530,000. A couple years later, the price fell to $480,000. That's the first time I ever experienced a downturn. It didn't feel good. But here's the thing, MC, I bought that property for the right reasons. My cash flow actually went up because in a recession, people lost their homes and they had to come rent from me. So on a monthly basis, my cash flow is greater than it ever was, and the property the property was only temporarily suppressed in value. So, you know, if you're a real estate investor, you actually have to ask, do I want there to be a recession? Because oftentimes it can make your cash flow increase, even though your property is temporarily suppressed in value. And there are a number of other reasons out there why we could be entering a 10-year period where it's really a great time to be a real estate investor, more millennials are entering prime renter age. There are 73 million of them. They're the largest generation, greater than the baby boomers. Track what they do. Millennials have college costs that are rising even faster than inflation. Well, what does that have to do with real estate investing? That means millennials are saddled with student loan debt, so they cannot form a housing down payment, and a greater proportion of them need to rent. Well, that is good for people like us that want to rent properties to investors. And, you know, there's another demographic thing going on here, MC, and like so many people overlook this, the overall population of the United States increases at about 2 million people per year. And a lot of people take that for granted. Well, they're just used to population increases. Well, that just simply drives the economics 101 of supply versus demand. It's very easy to take that for granted, but there are countries like Japan and Greece and Spain that are suffering year-over-year population losses, and that creates excess housing capacity there. We sort of have the opposite condition here. So some of these demographic trends, that's resulted in the U.S. now having one of the lowest home ownership rates since 1965 and fewer people buying. That puts more people in the renter pool. That drives rental demand. So, you know, I've kind of talked about both a demographic and a geographic component about why this is still a good time to be a real estate investor and why I'm still buying. And I think the third one, MC, is what I would call a psychographic component. See, what happened years ago is millennials saw their parents lose their home in the mortgage meltdown of 2008 and 2009. Well, because that happened in that millennial's formative years, some millennials, they just have this negative association with home ownership. They don't want to own an increasing proportion of them, although many still do, but because there are a greater proportion that just don't even desire to own, that drives rental demand. So it's really a demographic, a geographic, and a psychographic component that make me an active real estate investor still today. You're listening to Keith Weinold on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back afterward from our sponsors. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. 
You're listening to Keith Weinold on the Cashflow Ninja podcast, and I'm back to our interview. Yeah, that psychographic component that you just spoke about, it is so true because the millennial yeah. clients that I've, uh, I have and some of the listeners that are out there, they are the most awake um, and very open to alternative ways, alternative investments. Uh, because as you just mentioned, Keith, they saw firsthand uh, the parents losing the, 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 the primary house and also losing the majority of their savings in uh, qualified retirement plans in the, in the stock market. Yeah, that's right. And that's great feedback. You're seeing that firsthand. Yeah, a- absolutely. Now, you've mentioned um, why it's a great time to be a real estate investor. I love uh, you always sharing uh, the five ways that real estate investors get paid. Can you share that with the Cashflow Ninja listeners? Yeah, well, you know, earlier we talked about how if you shift your mindset and your actions away from getting your money to work for you into getting other people's money to work for you, that's a wealth creator but let's actually put some numbers behind that. Okay, let's back that up. And MC, you know what's really interesting about numbers? Even people that get bored with some numbers flying around get real interested when you put a little dollar sign next to the number. (laughs) Absolutely. And they get even more interested when that dollar sign isn't just someone else's money. That's actually your money we're talking about here. So let's talk about your money in the five ways that a real estate investor gets paid. Real estate is a 5 faceted asset class. And a lot of people that come from the consumer credit world are not used to that. Most stock investors, well, when you're a stock investor, you have the burden of having to get the timing right. You generally need to sell your stock for more than you bought it for in order to have a gain. You might have a dividend paying stock, but the average dividend paying stock in the S&P 500 only pays 2%. So stock investors are used to getting paid only one way at a time, maybe two. So let's look at the five ways you're paid in real estate with a simple example. That's the best way to do it. And what we're going to do is we're going to add up your five different return sources to see how much you're paid at the end of year one. And I think there's going to be such an eye-popping number here that if you come from the consumer credit world, that you must be taking on some inordinate amount of risk in order to achieve a return like this. But you're not. This is just plain vanilla buy and hold real estate investing. And you know, most people know real estate's made more ordinary people wealthy than anything else, but they don't know how. So for the first time, we're actually going to add it up right in front of you and see how you're paid. Okay, so let's just say in this example, you carefully purchased a $100,000 rental single family home. And before you buy that, you make sure that the rent income is projected to exceed the expenses. And yes, you actually can find good renovated properties like I'm describing in the United States, Midwest and South. That's where I buy most of mine. Okay, now say you make a 20% down payment on this $100,000 home that leaves you with an $80,000 loan and you buy it when the property is already tenanted. That's called turnkey real estate investing. You buy the property renovated, tenanted, and under management. So the first of five ways you're typically paid, we're just again talking long-term what typically happens here, no guarantees, is with appreciation. We'll say in year one, your property appreciates from 100K up to 106K. That is merely commensurate with real estate's historic appreciation rate of 6%. And now maybe you're thinking, well, that's not very thrilling. That's just the 6% gain. But here's the thing. Your $6,000 gain is based on your down payment of only $20,000. 
okay, your rate of return formula for ROI is your gain divided by your down payment. Well, that 6K of gain divided by your 20K of down payment, that's a 30% return. That is from the magic of leverage and your leverage light bulb might have just turned on. And if you're like, whoa, 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 how did that happen? How did I go from 6% gain to a 30% gain in just this one of five ways I'm paid? It's because you achieved a 6% gain on both your $20,000 down payment and you achieved a 6% gain on the $80,000 that you borrowed from the bank. That gain is yours, not the bank's, and the tenant is the one paying down that loan. So that's why you have a 30% leveraged rate of return. The second way you're paid is with cash flow. Your rent income minus all the monthly expenses. So that's your rent income minus the mortgage, a factor for vacancy, property insurance, maintenance, taxes, utilities, and property management. And we'll just say the monthly income minus all those expenses only leave you with $150 of residual income. That's $1,800 a year. Again, divided by your 20K of skin in the game, that's a return of 9%. And by the way, that 9% part is known as the cash on cash return in real estate investing. So now we have 30 from leverage appreciation plus nine from cash flow. That's a 39% total. The third of five ways you're paid is with principal loan pay down. Now, unlike your own home where you don't have this benefit because you pay down the principal with money that you work for in your own home, in this case, your tenant pays the monthly principal portion of your $80,000 loan on this income property. So at a 6% interest rate on a 30-year mortgage, you're just going to have to believe me off the amortization table, that's $898 annually that the tenant pays down for you. Divide that by your 20K of skin in the game. That's another return for you of 4%. The fourth way you're paid is with a tax benefit, and this gets kind of hazy and complex, so we're not going to dig down into it, but we're talking about benefits like depreciation that I mentioned before that you can actually use as a tax write-off against part of your rent income. You have the tax-deferred exchange where you never have to legally pay capital gains tax. We'll just say that's another benefit of 5%, although I know Rich Dad Advisor Tom Wheelwright comes on my show with something new in the Trump tax code called bonus depreciation. He would say that 5% is too low, but we're just going to be conservative here. And then the fifth and final way you're paid is probably the least understood way that a real estate investor that ties up long-term fixed interest rate debt gets a financial benefit. That is your inflation hedging benefit. A lot of advanced investors even fail to consider this. Okay, just like you wouldn't keep a million dollars in the bank, MC, because you're a savvy investor, you know that if you kept a million bucks in the bank for 30 years, even at 3% inflation, it would just get eroded over time. But look, in the opposite way, when you borrowed $80,000 on this property, over time, wages are going to be higher due to inflation. Salaries are going to be higher. Consumer prices are going to be higher. They're just going to be more dollars floating in an economy. Well, your bank, years down the road, they don't ask to be repaid in inflation-adjusted real dollars. They only ask to be paid in 80,000 nominal dollars. Nominal means in name only. 
So this inflation hedging tailwind, we'll just say that gives you another return of 3% because that's about the long-term rate of inflation over the last 100 years. So let's add it up here and come up with your total rate of return. From appreciation, you're paid 30% due to that leverage. The second way you're paid cash flow is 9%, 4% from loan pay down, 5% from a tax benefit, and 3% from inflation hedging, that means when you add up your return from these five ways you're paid, your year one return from this income property is a whopping 51%. That's how real estate makes ordinary people wealthy right there. So much that you just covered there. I think especially number five, a lot of people don't even think about that one because think about it. You're paying back the bank in dollars that are worth less 20 to 30 years from now instead of today's dollars. Very powerful. Keith, one of the things that I've personally been interested uh, in, and I know my listeners are as well, is we're looking at wealth cycles, as Mike Maloney calls them, and these market cycles everywhere. And I mean, we just have to look at historically where we're at that, you know, we're we're probably... uh, close or in a near future, there, there's a recession around the corner. These things are, cannot be predicted. But if we just look at it, kind of what, what's happened historically, it's safe to say that we're going to see another one uh, relatively sh- soon in our, in our lifetime. Um, and one of the things that I've looked at and researched and asked a lot of questions about is how to invest before and prepare for a recession and also during a recession. What are some advice that you can share with our listeners regarding that? Well, there's an awful lot there. And, you know, think about cash flow. I think that's really important. And, you know, if you want to hunker down for a recession, whatever that means to you, and again, when you're a cash flowing real estate investor and you buy in these more stable metros, like what I'm talking about buying in, in the Midwest and South, and I'll tell you exactly some of the metros I'm talking about. I'm talking about places like Huntsville, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Indiana, you know, what I call these stable markets that don't have these fantastic highs and lows, you've hedged yourself against the recession to some extent. Another thing that's really important in bracing yourself for any potential recession is economic diversification. Don't only be invested in one real estate market. I know there are detractors of diversification and there are other people that champion it, but from this perspective, it really makes sense. If you live in a town that only has 12,000 people in it and you invest in properties only in your home market and you have tenants in those properties, Think about how risky it is in a recession if half of the jobs of those 12,000 people are tied to the tungsten mine that is just outside of town. And during a recession, you know, the demand for a metal like tungsten is uh, unnecessarily low. Well, you're not very well diversified. So much of your income is dependent upon the status of the tungsten market and the tungsten mine at the edge of your town. So that's why we want to invest in some of the markets like I just mentioned, metropolitan statistical areas that have enough size so that there are economies of scale across all kinds of different market sectors. That could be retail, that could be mining, that could be manufacturing, and that could be medical. So being in a broad economy is so important because when you buy a property, 
property, you're not just buying it for the tenant that's in there today. You want to have a reasonable expectation that 18 months down the road or whatever it is, there's going to be another tenant that is at least going to have a job that can come in there and pay that rent. And kind of like I mentioned earlier, what happened during the last recession is it got so bad that people lost their homes, their higher priced homes that they couldn't afford, and they had to scale down and come rent from me. So it's about being geographically diversified. And I buy a lot of properties that aren't flashy. They're not beautiful. Beautiful properties aren't typically profitable for real estate. So I kind of buy these lower middle class properties where even in a recession, you know, someone might have to live a lower quality of life for 10 years or more in kind of this lower middle class zone that I buy in. And I think another important thing, if you want to put another blanket of insulation against recession over your body, you know, here's something to consider. Even during the last recession, look at some of the job sectors that we had losses in. We had losses in a lot of different job sectors, but medical is one sector that shines. Even in a recession, oftentimes places are adding medical employment. They're adding more employment even in a recession. In fact, even futurists like Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler, you know, they talk about how there is going to be outsized demand for medical in the future. And it's really one of the last places that robotics and artificial intelligence could possibly replace. So, Buy a property close to a medical district or where there is a good concentration of medical jobs. That's just another blanket of insulation to use against yourself in a recession. And you know what's convenient? Within a metro area, oftentimes medical campuses are concentrated in one or two parts of the city. So because they're more concentrated, you can pick up on this. And medical campuses are just not as geographically dispersed across a metro like a sector like retail or a lot of service industries are. So there are just a few formulas. It's about geographically diversifying. It's about buying kind of that lower to middle class use type. And finally, if you want an extra blanket of insulation, look to buy property near a medical district. And the reason why a lot of this is important, MC, is if you you as an investor think we're going to have a bad recession soon and you switch a lot of your money to cash, well, now you just have the money in cash and it's just being eroded away by inflation until we get to the recession, if you think there's going to be one soon. But if you bought a property near a medical district, you can have a yield between now and the recession and when the recession begins. So it's not just about when the recession begins, it's about getting a yield between now and the recession. So those are just a few actionable things about how you can hedge yourself in a recession as a cash flowing real estate investor. Keith is a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council and writer for Forbes. I would highly recommend you check out all of his articles that he's written on Forbes as well. One of my favorites involved Keith explaining why your return on home equity is always zero. Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show again and sharing uh, your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Where can my uh, listeners learn more about you, where can they follow you and where can they listen to your podcast and stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? Either at GetRichEducation.com or the Get Rich Education podcast. Right there at the homepage in GetRichEducation.com, you can download my international best-selling ebook called Seven Money Myths That Are Killing Your Wealth Potential. One of those myths, interestingly, you just mentioned it, MC, it's that you think that there's a return from home equity, but in fact, the truth is that home equity is unsafe, 
illiquid, and its rate of return is always zero. So that's just one of the seven myths in that book. And actually, if you get the ebook there, again, it's free at getricheducation.com. A couple weeks later, what's automatically emailed to you is an infographic about the five ways that real estate investors are paid, which really helps, I think, clarify and make transparent to you all those numbers that I just stated earlier. Or you can listen to the Get Rich Education podcast, where we talk about how to optimize the five ways that your real estate pays you. And we often have prominent guests on there like Robert Kiyosaki, Stephen Kotler, Ken McElroy. That's every week for more than four years. We've been producing that show. I really put a lot of thought and energy behind that. That is the Get Rich Education podcast. Absolutely. And I would also highly recommend checking out Keith's YouTube channel. He has uh, just really great videos on there, sharing valuable strategies, concepts, and also just explaining while some, sometimes as uh, Mark Twain <laughs> um, uh, discusses and shares that when you are on the side of the majority and doing everything that everyone else is doing, it's time to pause and reflect. Yep. You want just a few people to think you're nuts. If they do, you're on the right track. Absolutely. Thanks a lot again, Keith. Thanks, MC. MC Lobshire, the creator and host of The Cashflow Ninja and president of Producers Wealth. And I'm on a mission to help you achieve economic and financial freedom as quickly as possible. I achieve this by integrating the infinite banking concept with real estate investments to increase your efficiency and returns and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware of that you're losing. I share the number one strategy for investors in my holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, such 
situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.